0: Hi, this is Amy Bowen. Welcome to Episode 4 of Movie Chat with the Movie Night Crew for Monday, October 24th, 2016. Again, movie fans, it's wonderful to be joining you again for another episode of Movie Chat with the Movie Night crew. I'm going to keep my introduction very short today because we managed to talk for a whole 30 minutes last night at our bi-weekly movie chat at Stu's house. Last night's features were titled Eight and a Half and Following, and I gave a longer and better introduction to them last night when we were doing our live recording So, here we go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Movie Chat with the Movie Night crew. I'm Amy Bowen, we're live at Stu's place again tonight. We're recording this on Sunday night, October 23rd, 2016, and I'm going to release it tomorrow, Monday, October 24th, because it's a very topical episode for all of us creative types. Many of our Movie Nights have titles, which are thought up by whoever is hosting that night, and that describe the theme of that evening's movies, tonight's movie night, and therefore this podcast episode, is titled Routes to Creativity. We chose this theme for tonight because this is our last movie night at Stu's before National Novel Writing Month begins, and several of us are participating and are excited about it. In celebration of the beginning of NanoRiMo, <laughs> we decided to watch two movies about creative people, Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, one of the great classics of world cinema about a successful director trying to think of a new project, and Following, an early Christopher Nolan film about a writer with some interesting techniques for character development. I've never seen Eight and a Half, and in fact this will be my first Federico Fellini movie, but I have seen Following before, back in late 2010 or early 2011, when I decided to watch the entire oeuvre of Christopher Nolan in order of its release, starting with this film. And I thought it was really cool because it has an early example of the surprising twist that would become a hallmark of Nolan's later films, and I'm going to make darn sure I do not give that twist away on pod. Mostly my movie night podcast episodes are spoiler-friendly, but I'm going to make an exception for following because... It's the kind of movie that's better enjoyed if you don't already know about the twist. Um, let's talk a little bit more about. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Eight and a Half before we get started.
1: Okay,
0: thanks,
2: Amy. Um, in nineteen in nineteen sixty three, Federico Fellini was one of the top directors in the world. He'd made La Strada, which is Pope Francis's other favorite film. The other one being the one that was uh, your tribute night a couple of years okay. ago. Um, He'd made uh, *Knights of Cabrilla, which is our friend Ronnie Gosch's, one of her her favorite films. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he'd made uh, La Dolce Vita, The Sweet Life, which is one of my favorite movies. So by 1963, he was ready to make another feature. Mm -hmm. And he found himself a little stuck. And he couldn't figure out what he was going to do. And so he hit upon the idea of making a movie about a director who's stuck and does not sure what he wants to do. and So it's, it's an incredibly meta film. Uh, you and I were watching uh, Terry Gilliam's commentary on it, and he said this is the movie about the creative process and how, and how movies get made, how the, what the director's process is. By 1963, uh, he'd made six features, including the three that I just mentioned. He'd also made two short films, and he'd co-directed a film. So he figured he'd made seven and a half movies... And this was his eight-and-a-half film that, he, that he'd made, hence, hence the title.
0: Oh, thank you.
2: Yep, yep. It's, I told you before we, we went on that you could watch this movie 20 times and never figure out why it was called Eight-and-a-half. Well, that's why it's called Eight-and-a-half. Why? Oh, cool. Yeah, exactly. A um, couple of techniques to point out about Fellini. Number one, he's a very visual director, a lot of open shots, a lot of gorgeous stuff. Um a lot of fantasy a lot of magical realism uh woven in through through the film by this point well, you're gonna like this one then uh, his earlier films like like la Strada, there's nothing magical about that at all that's that's very gritty, very real um and and really the same with um la, la dolce vita that's you know there's nothing magical about that one at all yeah there's no fantasy elements by the time eight and a half came around, Fellini had his legs under him. he had a tremendous repu- a tremendous reputation i mean by nineteen sixty three if you wanted to call somebody an art director, you'd call him a Fellini. Oh. I mean, yeah, he was he was that well known. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he was ready to, to stretch a little bit. One technique that he used, I'll, I'm, i I hesitate almost to point it out because now you, it might be the only thing you'll think about watching the movie. Okay. But he wouldn't film his sound live. Like everything he'd do, all the dialogue gets got dubbed in later. Uh, usually by the same actors but he would, that's just how he preferred to make his movies because then he could, ma- he could play music on the sets he could do anything he wanted with the sound um, in watching this this film you know, and I won't be giving away any spoilers either but there are two things I want you to, to keep in mind you know, number one since most of us are here you know, are writers and want to do creative stuff what do you think of the film's depiction of the creative process and how does it jibe with yours and your, and your understanding of other artists and creators that you know and number two, um, what do you think of Fellini's depiction of women? Um, he could be described as misogynistic. His depiction of women is definitely not something you'd usually see a director do today. And I'm wondering if this film had come out yet yeah, in 2016, would he have the reputation that he has now, or would he be shoehorned because of the way he depicts gender relations? Yeah, or, or am I all wet? Maybe... You wouldn't find you won't won't find them this way at all. So, anyway, these are things I'd I'd like you to pay attention to, and I'd like to discuss after the break. Thank you.
0: Awesome! I am looking forward to a interesting discussion. Thank you very much. And now we will take a break and watch Eight and a Half. What did I think of the creative process? I have to. um, You asked you asked us to say a few words about how whether or not we related to this film's portrayal of the creative process um yeah kinda I the all the scenes with the really jabbery film critic guy saying oh you're this film is terrible and worthless because it doesn't have anything interesting or original or meaningful to say made me think a little more critically about my own nano that I'm working on preparing. I was actually, uh, just before I came here for movie night, I was working on making a list of ideas and plot points to hit, and, um, I have to say several of them are drawn from my memories from when I was younger. So, uh, that was mentioned on the films, I thought, hmm, yeah, I better make, what exactly do I have to say? I mean, this, I, am, I mean I am a fantasy writer but I would like it if I could have something meaningful or important to say but I don't, I don't know what it will be yet but I hope
3: to discover it okay somebody else want to go? Well, that, that critic's more like my inner critic my inner editor constantly like every time I question a story idea or go back and look at something that I was working on I then get the, that same guy in my head nattering at me going, okay, but what's really happening in the story? They're just sitting around <laughs> talking. That's not a story. <laughs> and it's like, well, yep. stuff's happening. I'm going to get there. And so I was like, that's... That's another aspect of the creative process is having to fight that guy. Oh, yeah. Which is why during so, Nano we always, always say you got to lock away your inner editor and your inner critic. Uh-huh. Otherwise, it's going to be that much harder to pound out your rough draft, which is the point of NaNoWriMo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, that's, that's what I got from that guy. The rest of it is like, yeah, there are a lot of uh, people who take... Uh, their story cues and character cues from the ridiculous parade of their lives. Mm-hmm. Which is what, like, all that music all the time, and people, like, constantly going by and dancing. It's like all sorts of that. So it just made me think this is basically taking your life and making it more ridiculous and making it more <laughs> simple at the same time. Mm-hmm I... Yep. I think I might do that, but maybe in a more abstract way. I don't know. I don't like to. That's not true. My nano currently has some of my friends in it. Okay, I lied. <laughs>
0: yep. Mm. Thanks.
2: Yeah the um, the pressure on the artist. I mean the the constant questions of oh like okay yeah, where where is this movie? What's it going to be about? Where are you stand on this? What are you doing? I came up with the idea for the book that I've been cha- sawing away on now, like, over... It's been about ten years.
0: Oh, really? You know,
2: I haven't really made a hell of a lot of progress quite for, quite frankly. I've, I've written conference papers on like, every chapter, but in terms of pulling it together and really getting it polished and really making it something that, you know, the regular rude-out at, at reader will want to read, you know, I... Well, you know, I, I work forty hours a week, and I do stuff, mm-hmm. and I haven't real. I have a hard time sitting down, saying, "Okay, well, I'm going to do this now." Writing, yeah. creating is a solitary art. I mean, Very that's much. that. It, it really it really can be, as as opposed, really, to filmmaking. By the way, that, yeah,
0: that's right.
2: You know, filmmaking is the most collaborative art that I can that I can think of. Right, well, definitely. Music, maybe it, it would be up right up there too. But I mean, filmmaking, my God, you got the whole crew going. And I think as a director that would, re- that would really energize you Because you don't have the luxury of saying Well, I'll work on this draft tomorrow or I'll, I'll go a different direction with this tomorrow No, you've got a crew out there That are all making middle class wages That you've got to pay whether you're putting anything on film or not And you, you better get your butt out there and create it Or else you've got a problem um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that's that's a push that the right the, the writer doesn't have. Writing is this solitary art. You lock yourself away in a room and you go. Victor Hugo, they said, he would tell his assistants, "Just take my clothes. Jeez. So there's literally nothing else I can do. I am sitting here naked. I've nothing I can do but write. <laughs> I haven't I? Haven't gotten that? I haven't gone that far yet. But but yeah, the, the constant nattering, especially when I was in grad school. Yeah, people I was they knew were working on their dissertations. People ask them all the time. So how close are you being finished? How close are you being done? You're like. Just shut uh, uh. Uh, I just I just can't hear it right now mm-hmm. yeah, It's yep. but, but on the other hand Do they have a right to know that? If it's your audience?
0: If it's your Well maybe I don't know maybe. But this is a PhD dissertation Has other people Who have a stake in it mm-hmm. That's not really The same thing There are people Who need to know You have like a committee You have to present it to
2: mm-hmm. um, You also good. have aunts
3: that is kind of similar, though, also to like this filmmaking process, and once you actually get like an agent and contracts and stuff like that when you're writing, you've got deadlines, and you've got people who have jobs attached to your job, and you've got money on the line, and if... Hold on, hold on, this... Yeah, basically it's like, once you actually get into the industry, like before you... like after you've done your actual rough draft, and you're selling your stuff, you've now got all these other people that are going to be coming at you and you're going to have to be dealing with the stress of that as well mm-hmm. and their inputs too, oh I've made all these notes for you and maybe we should edit this or we've come up with the idea for this and that exists in the writing world too when you get an editor mm-hmm.
2: or, your, or your publisher flat out says what you've written here is not saleable yeah, that, <laughs> that, well, that that book that I showed you last year by Anne Lamont Bird by Bird, yeah she's mm-hmm. got a big a chapter on that where she finished her book and the publisher said no, this this isn't the book we want. And she looked at it and she agreed with him immi- immediately. And she, you know, after she looked at it and then, but she, at the time, she just really didn't know what to do. And there's a good little part in there about how she had to work through that.
0: Mm-hmm. I really need to read that. It's that's good, that's book. A
2: good book. You would like Anne Lamont. Yeah, know.
0: I think I would.
4: I'm not a writer, but I I craft. I sew a lot, which is also a very solitary. Activity, and I—I definitely feel the let's procrastinate and do all of the things that we need to do, and and at the end product, sometimes you know I'm I'm sewing a dress or I'm sewing a costume, and I'll put hours into it, I'll tear it apart, I'll put it back together, and it's just not good. It's just not good enough. Yep. And you gotta figure out where you scrap it and start from the beginning and and where you just keep tearing it apart. Mm-hmm. I have
0: one. I have one that I'm going to have to scrap and start from the beginning. Like this uh, <laughs> This has devolved into threat No, this is good though. This is interesting. This this is bed- this. It's all art. Th- yep, it is all art. Yeah, I have I have at least one costume like that. One that's in the process of being torn apart. One that's definitely going to be scrapped It's just way too big in every possible dimension. But yeah, this was really interesting.
2: So how about so? Yeah, for those of you who are listening at home, uh, the gender dynamic in here is we've got uh, four ladies and two gentlemen. Um, I'll I'll ask the ladies straight up. You what? What did you think of Fellini's depiction of women? And then I'll have a follow-up question after that.
0: There were all very. There were so many different kinds of women. I guess uh, Stu and I watched Terry Gilliam's commentary feature on the DVD before, and he said his this movie just uh, portrays and celebrates all the different kinds of women that there are. And I think that was absolutely true. And I really felt for poor, poor Louise. I love her. She's such just so sad and tragic. Uh, I don't really have much else to say. That's
2: a good point. Um, specifically that harem scene.
0: That was weird.
4: That <laughs> was a very long scene. That was scene. the long, long, that was a long fantasy movie. sequence. That part at the end where she's scrubbing the floor and she's talking about all of the stuff she has to do in order to keep him happy and... Wasn't I so silly to not know that I was supposed to do all of this stuff? And, and, you know, how silly I was, and I just, that really connected with me, um, and it just, uh, makes me wonder about men and their wives, and is that a thing that men are really looking for in their wives, like... Are are they? Is is that really? I don't know. It was 1963. It was 1963,
2: and it was Italy in 1963. Have, have there been changes? I don't are, are you are you asking the question as a rhetorical? I
4: mean, we always talk about you know you have to love people for who who they are, and the whole harem scene is about you know he's so great, we love him the way he is, he's excellent. Um but also y- you don't particularly like that guy. Like I guess you know a-, a philanderer and you're supposed to dislike him, but at the same time we-, we have this idea that you're supposed to, you know, love everybody for who they are and...
2: and 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 frankly, he doesn't love the women for who they are. He loves them for who he wishes they were.
0: That's yes. right.
2: You know, they're 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 close. But, the character but not he's quite.
4: Built in and he, you know, they're adoring him for what he wants to be, not for who he really is.
3: Which I think that harem scene is kind of part of the point, is showing that everything that he's trying to build his life on is all a fantasy in his head, and that mm-hmm. he can't have what that and Nobody should expect to have that, and Maybe the whole lamenting, oh, I was was so silly to see that this is what I was supposed to be, it's more of a backwards, not like reverse psychology, but a backwards being like, no, you're the silly one to look at everything that you're making me do. And it's ridiculous that this is the life that you've built into our marriage. And don't you feel ridiculous that this is what I'm doing and this is everything that you've built. And even while it's your fantasy, everything goes amok now and then, and you can't even control your fantasy anymore. <laughs>
4: so yeah. That's a really good that
0: was a really neat idea. It's absolutely true, yeah.
1: So, I mean, I think the movie puts a fairly negative spin on the concept of... Negative concept on both the aspect that he can't find what he wants because what he wants is almost a intangible concept. What he thinks of love is probably just... Sexualis- sexualization and kind of maspiratory fantasy I think more mm-hmm. than anything else and I mean it's commented in the movie itself that he doesn't you know what he think love is and I don't think I think the truth of the matter is he has no f- concept. Oh, sorry. Nah, he has no okay. concept of it.
0: That We're already at almost the 20 minute mark. Shall oh. we move on before it gets any later and watch following? Sure. Or do we want to keep talking? About
2: well, I, I, I'll ask you guys one just just one question. This might hopefully only yeah, yeah. take like a minute. You know, question you know, let's question two B. I guess. Could a director make a film like this? Especially with the harem scene with with a director with a with a main character who relates to women in that way, and not get run out of the business today?
4: Yes. I think Natalie's so. and yeah. Natalie
0: and Dandy both say yes I think, I think so too,
3: Especially yeah. if, since if it's taken a social commentary I mean hmm. some of the movies That we s- see come out anyway That have like Bad characters and stuff like that Where they were being serious And it's like wow that's terrible <laughs> Those people still end up in the industry And then There's already so many male masturbatory movies right. That are being <laughs> made
4: already yeah. Right Maybe and this one could actually say something Right, and
3: if you derive the point in the end that that kind of viewpoint, trying to craft that kind of lifestyle, is wrong, then it's not as though necessarily he's promoting sexism or he's promoting a cheating husband. It's more of, you're ruining your life and you're almost ruining your career. You need to stop and look and actually figure out what you want yourself to be and what you want your life to be and you, what you want to do so make a choice I mean it flat out says make a choice you can't just keep grabbing so it's more of a commentary about that than actually promoting any kind of uh, sexist movie and I think our current audience at least a good deal of them would still be able to pick that out I mean after all we are <laughs>
2: <laughs> one, one would hope. One would hope. And it just just to segue and actually, you know, double back for just a second, Kara what you when you're talking about the about the critic, you know, yeah. how we we have to put away our our, our our inner critic, and in fact, in the film, in this this little dream sequence, he they just flat out hang the critic, just just kill him right there. I That's what you got to do. But the ending, or the the denouement, I guess, is more more so than the ending. Yeah. When he's in the car with that critic. And all the critic can praise him for doing is not making the movie, yeah. and that's the, that's the thing that that inner critic, that killer critic that we have to put away. They win when we don't create. It's the damnedest thing, and I, that that was one of the more profound statements of the movie for, for me. You know, that that's the, the critic didn't want him to do anything, and that's and that and that's. Mm-hmm. And
1: he starts not even staring him down for. Doing this? Oh, you did this. Well, you didn't have enough detail. Oh, you did this. Well, your characters were bland. Why'd well, you do it?
3: So you don't have anything important to say. Oh, now you're not going to say anything? Well, congratulations.
1: Congrats. You're not going to say anything. It's exactly what we wanted not to hear.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And to a certain extent, it's kind of, as a writer, you kind of want to hear that, actually. You, I mean, in a certain, you almost want to go like, oh, God, thank God, I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have the obligation now. I don't have to create. But then <laughs> it puts you in that whole cyclical damage state of, well, now I'm not, now I'm not, and then Mm -hmm. just so on and so forth. Then you go to create, and then you're constantly having the critic going, well, that sucks.
3: Uh Uh-huh. And And that can just damage you even more. Yeah. When when you keep letting the critic win, then when you're finally creating, that critic has a louder voice, and you can make bad decisions that, in the end, now you have something that's not sellable, because mm -hmm. you let the critic take all of what was actually good ideas in your head... And alter them to be bad ideas
1: Then the question I have is Then what is the ending Is the ending Because that's some of the thought I've been having Is the ending Is the ending The ending shows us that he's recoupling with his wife He basically is able to kind of quit the movie And stop it And he at least in his supposed fantasy world Shot himself in the head So the question I have is this Is he alive
3: I would say yes because this movie's a lot of imagery and symbolism and stuff, I would say the imagery of him shooting himself under the table is him killing his career and choosing to stay with his wife. Because it was him leaving all the time and going places where he was able to hook up with all these mistresses. If he kills his career and stays home, she doesn't have to go after him. He's now picking his marriage over the... The one thing that was tearing them apart.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Over his career in this imaginary harem that even when he imagines it, it goes out of control and Right.
4: I took the ending a little bit differently. Yeah. When they all when there's a band and they all start dancing around, to me it just felt like, yes, he made a decision, but they're all gonna keep dancing the dance. Like his Mm -hmm. wife said, You always keep pulling me back, I keep leaving you so once again, he pulls her back. She says yes, and they keep doing the dance.
1: Mm-hmm. So the idea that there's really no solution, nothing's really been solved. He's just gone back to center. Mm-hmm.
2: Or, 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 or is that, or is that the solution, though? I mean, I, I, I think one, of the, I think the first thing that Kara said was when we, when we started our, our commentary was that's his solution to what was going to make his movie about. Is like I'm going to bring out all the characters of my life. And that, that's what we as writers need. I mean, Chuck Palahniuk has a great little essay about that. You know, but, and where he starts talking about some of the more ridiculous, absolutely insane things that have happened in his novels, he said, you know, that, that happened to a friend of my brother-in-law's. He said, you think I'm making this up? You know, have you ever read any Chuck Palahniuk? It's absolutely insane crap he puts in those books. <laughs> He's like, no, I, I can't make this up. This happened. Every bit of this happened to somebody.
3: Not that good. And, right? that, and that's...
2: I mean, that's what you do. Is a lot of what you do as a a creator. I mean, yes, some things you you do world build, you do make things up, but a lot of what you do as a creator is just is plagiarizing your own life.
3: Yep. Yeah. And I think that's possibly what what, uh, also makes this a great movie is the fact that we've got three different endings that are all plausible. It Uh just depends on how you're viewing it, and to an extent, possibly even your philosophy on life. Yeah. I don't know if that actually reflects us here sitting here today, but. When mm-hmm. you have a really great movie, a lot of times it, it's an open ending, it's yeah. in, and a lot of great books are that way, too, where you can go, what exactly did that last scene mean? Mm-hmm. And, like a work of art, you look at it and it's about how it makes you feel.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On my tribute night, which we mentioned earlier, the one I picked, the movie that I picked for my to share with everyone, Inception, was exactly that, and is open to interpretation, Following, which is another Christopher Christopher Nolan's first movie, which it, we're about to watch, doesn't have that, but it is fun and interesting. And now, part two. So we just finished Following, and that was really good. And yeah. sounded like from people's reactions, it sounded like people enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah,
4: definitely
0: good. I dug it. Awesome. So, that was supposed to be a way to get ideas for <laughs> characters, and clearly it worked because there's a scene of madly typing away on a manual typewriter. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but
0: it's Christopher Nolan.
3: Yeah, uh, well, yep. people watching is one of the ways that it's suggested to get inspiration for characters mm-hmm. and stuff, so it's like this is just taking it a bit too far. <laughs> yeah, I would say See that.
2: for yourself. <laughs> Considering last night I asked a friend of mine if it was alright if I killed her off
3: from my <laughs> Yes, but you weren't stalking her, nor were you actually doing any real crimes. you not supposed to be Or getting set, set up for people. people you uh, Not
4: yeah.
2: you know <laughs> of.
1: Okay. You weren't like writing like a serial killer, and you just serial killered for a while just to get the feel for it, and then stopped and then wrote the story.
3: Yeah, pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> Serial killer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, just kind of like Henry Fonda.
0: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> for, so, this was,
2: um, no, Nolan paid for all this himself. It was, uh, just came out of his salary. Um, he, they rehearsed everything as many times as they could because he didn't want to waste it. He shot on 16mm film. Uh, he didn't want to waste anything at all. So this is at every inch an utterly, utterly independent film. He did it. And, but but it doesn't look like it you know shooting in black and white like that shooting all interior shots you're not mm-hmm. having any cranes there's no dollies there's nothing like yeah. that you keep it's the whole keep it simple stupid uh-huh uh, principle and it doesn't so it doesn't look cheap because you're not trying to do something that you're not capable of doing
0: yeah that's right exactly which is a
2: hell of a lesson for for a writer or creator of any sorts like it's like the old vaudeville joke like guy goes into the doctor's office and holds his arm at a weird angle and says doc it hurts when I do that doc says don't do that don't do that if if there's something you're not capable of doing then maybe you don't try to do that you know maybe you do what you do well and that's Uh what you're gonna you know no one makes a living off something they do poorly do what you do well
0: Mm mhm and this movie is an early example of what Christopher Nolan does do well yay (laughs) (laughs) namely right Write movies with cool and interesting plots that have something that surprises you at the end of them.
1: Cool. He's extremely a... good at dialogue. He
0: is extremely good at dialogue. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. most definitely.
2: Definitely, uh, very much remind me of David Mamet. Who is David
0: Mamet? Uh, the, the guy who
2: wrote. Um, David Mamet is. Let me see. Let, let, let me bring up his his um, curriculum vitae. Uh, the Spanish Prisoner.
0: Oh yeah, is, is that a, a movie? Yep, yeah. it's a movie, isn't it? You yep. said, yeah, you were saying earlier this, uh, that following reminded you of a Spanish prisoner.
2: Very much so. Well, let, let me see, what are, some, what are some other ones? He, um, as a writer, yeah, this is the guy that wrote, uh, the David wrote uh, Glengarry, Glen Ross. Oh, which, um.
0: Hasn't that, hasn't that been on our ballot forever? Or no? No, no I
2: haven't, I haven't no, ever put that hasn't. on
3: there. I thought it was on there once. I, I watched that in college, it's quite a
0: film. You must have talked about it because the name rings a bell. Yeah, it was, a, it
2: was a good movie. Well, let me see. I, I, I'm just reading a, um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, just just statue of dialogue from Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. What do you mean? Have I talked to you about this? Yes, I mean we're actually talking about this. No, we're just yeah, we're just talking. We're just speaking as an idea. Yes, we're actually talking about it. No, <laughs> talking about it as as a robbery as a robbery. No, no. You know, this is sort of evasive. Uh, du- doubling see. back language, um, the 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 utter absolute planning. No, it's it's, it's just fantastic. Love it.
0: Cool, thank you very much. And I think I'm. Everybody's pretty tired, including myself. But this definitely got our Was a good good night to to watch movies and good. Got us thinking about creativity and the creative process. So, from Omaha, Nebraska, good night from the Movie Night crew. That's a wrap for this episode of Movie Chat with the Movie Night crew. Your listener feedback is very, very welcome. You can find me on Twitter at Amy Bowen, A-M-Y-B-O-W-E-N. You can visit my website and find show notes for this episode at ameliabowen.com. You can comment on the website post there, or you can email your listener feedback and audio comments to amy at The theme music for Movie Chat with the Movie Night crew is Look Busy by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Bleep sound effect was created by Chris Lester for his Metamore City podcast, and the whoosh transition was JetWoosh.Wave by Ben Bonken, which is available via freesound.org and is licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.